This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast with Alex Milsom and Shivani Dave. Hello and welcome back to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. I'm Alex Milsom. And I'm Shivani Dave. And this is the show where we take a weekly look back through the Virgin Radio Pride archives, attempting to continue some of the conversations we started over the summer. But you know that by now. Guess what I got on my arm today? What, what did you get on your arm? In, in my arm. That kind of gives it away. There's very few, very few scenarios which you could be like, oh, I got something in my arm. Well, I'm, I'm guessing because I've seen your Instagram, it's the vaccination you're talking about. Yay! I've got a little bit Woo-hoo! of Dolly Parton in me. That does mean that I am now an official Dolly Parton spokesperson, so feel free to ask any questions you want about Dolly Parton. Yeah, it's it's really exciting though, although obviously the news is a little scary and we um, are, you know, adapting to that as we do. We're, we're, I'm currently sat on my bedroom floor. Shivani has a much better setup than I do. I'm sat on a chair, so yes, <laughs> but I also Actually have the... my cat on my lap. Yeah, I met the the cat. So if and there's also... any occasional purring, it's him. How has your week been? Oh, he's just jumped off. He didn't like me holding him like that up to the camera. He's a bit camera shy. <laughs> no photographs, please. My week's been okay, actually. Um, I think it's been really hard with the pandemic and everything surrounding that, and worrying about Christmas and stuff. But I'm really mm-hmm. focusing on the here and the now, and enjoying each day as it comes, and not really thinking about the future too much <laughs> that's a that's a really good plan it's also christmas next week that's just horrible when you say the words it's christmas next week i i have to admit i haven't actually bought a christmas present yet not a single one no i'm i'm notoriously bad for it to the extent where i think my family just won't buy me christmas presents the only christmas present i've bought so far this year has been for the cat well there you go and are you going to be uh, spending christmas with your family I'm spending Christmas with the cat. Um, my family don't really do anything for Christmas. So it's kind of just been like, it, it's obviously a nice day to get together and see all of them because obviously everybody in the whole world's got the day off. Yeah. But at the moment with COVID variants, et cetera, et cetera, I'm feeling like maybe just enjoy the company with the cat, like whack the heating up full blast walk around in my underwear play like really horrible christmas music and then i'm gonna be on virgin radio chilled as well so then i'll start playing some good music when i'm when i'm chatting on the airwaves for that that's wicked that sounds like the true meaning of christmas and obviously there's a lot of kind of things that we're considering you know i'm also asking the question of do i go and see my family over christmas i don't i don't live with them i live away from them but i know that many of us with Christmas fast approaching, we'll be thinking about that return to home to see family, particularly as that wasn't an option for many of us this time last year. It's quite scary, that. But for lots of LGBTQ plus people, relationships with biological families can be a struggle. Many families still don't accept their children's sexuality or gender identities. And that's what we want to focus on over the next two festive editions of the podcast. Not only the struggles that some of us could have with familial acceptance, but also the wide range of families which lie under the LGBTQ plus spectrum. It's worth saying that obviously some of what you're about to hear is distressing and it might be triggering for some. But we'd urge you to keep listening if you can, as we want to show that these issues are still happening today. This first clip is a really good example of that. It's a tough listen, but goes to show, as Shivani said, that these issues are very much still present today. 
Have a listen to some of Emma Goswell's chat with Matt Mahmood Ogston from the Naz and Matt Foundation, which was set up in memory of Matt's fiance Naz. Naz devastatingly took his own life two days after his deeply religious family confronted him about his sexuality. And in this clip, Matt talks about the couple leaving home and moving to London in the face of this rejection. And just a few months after coming out to myself, I was on a night out in Birmingham, just minding my own business. And then along came this sweet, delicate voice that said into my ear, excuse me, may I sit here, please? And in that moment, my, my whole life changed forever because in that moment, Naz had arrived. This beautiful young man, we just got talking and talking and we never stopped talking. Um, but he was from a very religious um, family and he told me this very quickly. And we soon realised that to be ourselves, we, we couldn't live in Birmingham because Naz feared being found out by his, you know, his religious family. You'd so met to... in a gay club, had you? He'd just gone out on the sly away from his family, yeah. Yes, I met in a, a, an after-hours gay club. In um, part of, they had a romantically named cafe within the club called the Nav Caf, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit where of we there. If people know that. <laughs> <laughs> so we yes yeah, so we we quickly fell in love we quickly fell madly deeply in love but we just couldn't be ourselves because Naz was always looking over his shoulder you know we moved in very quickly uh soon after that but you know we were just fearful of ever being found out by his family so we had to pretty much run away to London to find new jobs and to set up a new life where we didn't know anyone where we could just live and be ourselves and just try and live that happy happy life that we, we dreamed of having where you could just walk down the street together and not fear someone seeing you out together in, in public. Naz's story is one that I've heard before and I've met Matt before he's told me this story it breaks my heart every single time. It's really tough like realizing I, I can't speak from personal experience but realizing that there are other people who because of the familial circumstances they're in face this sort of level of of difficulty in coming out and you know they can't be their true selves i grew up in london i had a really close community surrounding me as as i was growing up but i think more so when you're from tight-knit communities outside of london maybe in villages or towns where everyone sort of knows everyone it is something that people can feel a lot because that that idea of you know someone spotting you or being caught by someone is always going to be sort of the something that's hanging over your shoulder, like it's following you like a shadow, and you're going to be really worried about that. So even if you do try and be yourself in some of those spaces where you are surrounded by people like that, you might always have this sort of nagging thought in the back of your mind, which also isn't great fun. So I can completely understand why people do move away to places where they don't know anyone. Yeah, of course. It's it's a really shocking kind of contrast between the two, you know, Naz's rejection from his family versus that sort of feeling that he must have got around Matt, that, that feeling of kind of like finding someone that you, you feel you can be your true self around. Feeling yeah, that, that, that acceptance, that sort of warm embrace that you get around a few people from the get-go and know that there's going to be like a really strong connection between the two of you. It sounds like, both Naz and Matt had that. Yeah, and it's of course. when you, when you put it next to the feeling of of how Naz felt with his relationship with his family, it's so stark the difference. You know when people say, Oh, pride, we don't need it. You got you got equal marriage. You got equal marriage, can't you be happy with that? 
And then they really should just stop and realize that actually these things happen as well. This is what someone in the present day, you know, experienced in this world, having to come to London to to escape that that persecution, isolation, rejection. I just think it, it people who say we don't need pride or we don't need all of these things and they seem to think that we that LGBTQ plus people have got it easy should take a moment to stop and listen to this. Yeah, some of those stories that I think are so powerful. And we can see in this story of Naz and Matt the devastating effect that a whole family turning on someone can have. But sometimes it's just one member of the family who cannot accept their relative sexuality or gender identity. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to DJ and drag queen Jodie Harsh. Have a listen to what she had to say about her relationship with her father on My Pride playlist with Matt Horton. Now, I read yeah. online that your first memory of Pride was was going to the theatre in London and, and seeing a, a, a parade happening. And you saw, you know, a load of uh, flags and, yeah. and you were like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and your dad turned around and said no. Yeah, my now, dad's kind of homophobic. And what did that What did that feel like? <laughs> what was that like for you? Uh, I was quite young, like early, early teens. So I don't really, but I was like, oh, look, that's... I just said I wanted to go there and my dad was like, no, you don't. Then I kind of think I figured that it was like a gay thing mm. as I was sort of coming to terms with my sexuality. Um, but I don't re- I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore, um, which is really more his problem than mine because mm. I'm very, like, happy, like, being who I am and and I have a great life and I have a great, great rest of my family and, like, great supportive friends and that kind of stuff. Like, I'm clearly very confident in who, who I am and what I like as a person. Mm. so sometimes you know if, if someone really can't get their head around that and won't support you because of one asset of your life i.e your sexuality if they really can't can't get into that and accept you sometimes you've got to cut them out mm. all that got deep <laughs> but i really don't like yeah i had i handled all that in therapy years ago like yeah. i'm fine it's yeah. really not my problem yeah there's nothing quite like finding a place where you just feel at one with yourself and you go yeah i belong here I totally get that. I had that exact feeling in my first experience of Pride, which is actually weirdly similar to Jodie Harsh's first experience of Pride. I came out of the theatre in Soho and all of these people were there dressed in rainbows and colours and glitter and all sorts of incredible outfits. And I was like to my friends who I was with, hey, we should just hang out here a little bit longer. And they were like, we have a dinner reservation at Oaxaca. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't even want to go to Oaxaca anyway, but I definitely don't want to go to Oaxaca now. <laughs> Apologies. There are also other Mexican uh, brands available. Yeah, it's, it is quite difficult. Like, obviously, there's there's some positive there of finding that place. And, you know, Jodie's experience of finding that place, but also the, the, the negative of, you know, losing that relationship with with someone who, you know, you are born from them you'd expect them to do everything they can to look after you and this is what happened to Jodie yeah I think you know there is a really strong emphasis on stories that are sort of like you know I love my child no matter whether or not they're gay or trans or whatever and that's great that's really really good because obviously we all want to be able to see that we will get supported by families but I think the reality of it is that it's a lot harder for people to actually accept their child for being gay or trans. And um, I'm a big believer in sometimes 
cutting people out of your life. You know, no matter how hurtful it is for you or for them, it's one life that you have to live and you need to do it the way that you want to do it. But on the flip side, I am also the kind of person who believes that you can give some people a second chance and they can learn and they can educate themselves. Because for me, when I came out as non-binary, it's something I've been agonizing about for months, if not years. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm settled with it now. Everything is good. And then I told people and they were like, wait, what? The same way I was at the start of my gender journey. And I think it's good to give people the space to learn. But yeah, if they are not taking that space to learn, snip, snip, baby, you're cut out of my life. <laughs> Grab the scissors. It is difficult, though, to have to you know, go to your own flesh and blood and say, I just can't handle how you have treated me. And it's a, a journey that quite a lot of people have to have to experience i'm really lucky that i didn't i'm lucky that i i was nervous and I, I i cannot explain to you how nervous i was because you just don't know but you have to make the leap eventually and sometimes it won't go in your favor and sometimes it will well i think it was good to see in that clip how far jody's come since facing that rejection from her dad even though it is a shame of course that the two aren't close anymore but sometimes when families reject their children because of their sexuality or gender identity, it can have really damaging effects. Many LGBTQ plus youth end up homeless. And someone who sadly went through that experience is Mishti Ali, who spoke to Matt Cain on his Sunday roast on Virgin Radio Pride. Yeah, we've heard from Mishti before on the podcast, but have a listen to what she had to say about her own experiences of becoming homeless. I've not spoken to my family since I was 18. I'm now 20. Um, yeah, I did run away from home not long after getting my A-level results um, to basically live life comfortably out of the closet. It was a lot more difficult at the start. I was homeless for a short period of time. I remember applying to university whilst homeless. That was interesting. <laughs> um, but I'm in a, I've been very lucky. I'm in a much different place but it could have easily gone a different way and I know that there are lots of queer people who have been in similar situations and haven't had those same opportunities. As it gets to this time of year I always think about these statistics about LGBTQ plus young people. I know AKT is a very good LGBT uh, homelessness charity and they work with a lot of young people. And I had a look at some of the stats that they produced recently earlier today. And LGBT young people are disproportionately represented in the homeless population. As many as 24% of young homeless people are LGBT. And if you think about the fact that the LGBT population in the UK is about 10%, that's really high. So then 69% of those homeless LGBT young people have experienced violence, abuse or rejection from their family. And 77% of the homeless young LGBT people that they surveyed say that their LGBT identity was a factor in them becoming homeless. It's a really hard moment as it is to come out, but to have to come out with the risk of losing the stability of a place you call home, you know, of losing your home, that must be so immensely painful. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to never have been put in that position. But it is so heartbreaking. And the amount of people who experience that in the UK, in a country that we think of as being really progressive and, you know, being inclusive in a country that sort of 
says that everyone is equal. There are laws to, to make us all equal. And for that to be what happens to young people who don't have the opportunity to be able to sort of fend for themselves, you know, if these people are in school or, you know, as Mishti was applying to university, what, applying to university is horrible enough, let alone having to find somewhere to live at the same time. That UCAS application, oh, sensitive down the spine. No, of course. But when when we think about our lives and how much depend on us having a permanent fixed address, you know, Having a job depends on having a permanent fixed address. Having um, a bank account depends on having a permanent fixed address. All these different things that that one thing that is through no fault of your own, it's just from you being an LGBTQ plus person and your family rejecting you because of that. All of your life could just come crashing down in the in the most cruelest of fashions. It sounds absolutely terrible what Mishti had to experience. Yeah, and and losing your family losing your loved ones as part of also losing your house and your home it's a really horrible thing for anyone to have to go through let alone a young person who's already vulnerable and already scared about who they are and their identity um we're going to hear from mishti again as well talking a little bit more about that idea of family but first we wanted to check in on one of the organizations out there who are doing their absolute best to help And in a second, we'll hear from AKT straight after your Virgin Radio Pride weekly update with Daryl. Thank you. First this week. Plans to weaken the Human Rights Act by the Tory government have been called a blatant, unashamed power grab by a civil liberties organisation. Liberty have raised concerns over plans to alter it, which were unveiled by Justice Secretary Dominic Raab in the Commons on Tuesday. They're warning that the rights of British people could be fatally weakened by the changes. West Ham women's footballer Lisa Evans hopes English football will soon have an equivalent of Josh Cavallo, but fears it could still be a long way off. Adelaide United midfielder Cavallo said publicly in October he was gay, becoming the only known current male top-flight footballer to be out. While a number of players at clubs in English women's football are publicly out, there are none across the country's top four divisions in the men's game. Obviously, it would be it would be amazing that someone would feel brave enough to to do it and to be proud enough, and I think it would help so many others follow suit as well. After that, it would be something that would be yeah great to see and hopefully would help many other people. But I think it could still be a long way off yet. Britney Spears has slammed her father and her former management team for making her take part in the 2003 Diane Sawyer interview that left her in tears. In a now-deleted caption on Instagram, the 40-year-old singer did not hold back as she called out Sawyer for the harsh interview, which has been slammed by fans since it was revisited in the Framing Britney Spears documentary earlier this year. And finally, from me this week, Sex and the City star Cynthia Nixon says she was reluctant to reboot the show but signed on to right some of the wrongs of the original. She's told Elle magazine some of the LGBT content was purely for comic effect and now rings harsh. The actress who plays Miranda says her fears about and just like that have been allayed since its release last week. I'll have more next week. Cheers, 
Daryl, now, as we just said, there are many organisations which are putting in the work, not only to end LGBTQ plus homelessness, but also helping people who are currently homeless. One of those charities, and probably the most famous and most well-known one out there, in fact, is AKT, formerly known as the Albert Kennedy Trust. Have a listen to Tim Sigsworth, Chief Executive of AKT, chatting to Emma Goswell about the work they do today. It's terrifying to think, isn't it? You know, we you know, we almost expect that in the 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of people ran away from home and they were literally living on the streets and they were homeless. I've spoken to people that have had that experience. But it's scary to think that it's still happening today. Is it happening as much? It's not happening as much, surely. Well, there's 105,000 young people um, at risk of homelessness and 24% are LGBTQ+. So it's a big, it's a big issue. The thing is, I think what's shifted back then, fewer people were coming out. Some people have lived their lives yeah. in the closet. Therefore, we saw so many people back then and we're seeing more and more now. And I think that's because people are feeling they can't more confident to come out, but it doesn't mean attitudes change. Yeah, of course, we've got all these rights today, but the bottom line is you try getting on a night bus and snogging your same-sex partner you know, see how you get on with that. We've had attacks in the last couple of weeks that we've heard of. Brutal attacks, a 14-year-old lad. Trans people are constantly under attack. For me, we have moved on, but we're safe in certain spaces and mm. not in others. So what sort of practical help do AKT give then? Is, is it primarily about making sure that people are living in safe spaces and putting them into accommodation, or is it a bit of that and a bit of other stuff? I mean, it's got really complex over the last few years, because it's clear that giving somebody a house doesn't doesn't deal with homelessness as a problem. Homelessness has more impacts on a, on a person's life, whether it's the mental health impacts, the financial insecurity, whether it's the issues around employability and everything that young people face. So we, we're more than that now. We're working with lots of partners to provide young people yeah, a safe space to live but also to provide them with routes into independence. So helping them into employment, education, whatever they need to get them going. And we have a whole range of ways that we keep young people safe and help them get on with their independence. And I was at an event last week where we opened our new service centre in Manchester and, and some of the young people there are like getting into university. That for them is absolutely the most important thing to get on with their education and the support AKT is given, whether it's through mentors, whether it's through a safe home, whether it's through advocacy, whether it's through training and, and, and peer support has meant that they've been able to make that leap and get on with their lives because they don't get the starting life they deserve. You know, we spoke earlier on in the in the podcast about the university process being disrupted by, you know, the losing your home and, and losing that stability around you and I think it's it's really interesting that you know Tim speaks about the fact that that is the key priority of those people who come to that service centre from the AKT and try and you know continue moving on even if they've faced rejection or faced instability and are now homeless because of a response to them coming out so it's, it's pretty much the same story. Yeah I think one of the things is that Emma sort of touches on in that clip is that lots of people feel like 
the world is more inclusive, that this was an issue of the past when people weren't as accepting. But the numbers are damning and it's striking, you know, what Tim was saying about people coming out because they feel more confident too, which is something that we've definitely seen, you know, through positive representation in the media, celebrities, influencers, lots of people, you and me coming out. I'm sure that influenced maybe someone, hopefully. I don't know. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great that people feel more confident to come out, but it's weird to see that way in which the attitudes haven't quite caught up to speed yet. No, of course. I think especially when Tim and Emma spoke about those attacks that people face, you know, the the attacks that have happened in, in recent weeks and months, I would have probably thought twice or at least thought a lot harder about coming out if I was growing up, you know, 14, 15, 16, at those really, really key stages where you start to develop your identity. I would have definitely thought a lot harder about whether I would have felt safe coming out. It's, a, it's actually, compared to what I kind of saw around me at that time, I actually think there is that kind of added danger that these attacks do feel like they're becoming more common and do feel like we've got a more hostile world that we, we are living in. Yeah, I mean, when I was that sort of impressionable teenage age, there was one girl at my school who'd come out and I remember that she was getting bullied about her sexuality and... That, to me, made me feel like, no, I'm just not going to think about it. That's just not going to be a thing. For a really long time when I was at school, people would be like, oh, so who do you fancy? And I'd be like, oh, I'm asexual. Um, Because I didn't want to be like, I fancy girls. But if it had been attacks that I was seeing on the news, it would have been so much more scary. It would have been that feeling, but like times a million. And I think that is why... AKT is really important. You know, the work that they're doing, especially to help trans people who are unable to access certain spaces in certain councils due to single sex segregation. Um, and and I just couldn't be more supportive of the work that AKT are doing. I think they're an incredible charity, really helping our community to be stronger. You know, it, it, it's great to hear you speak so passionately about AKT and it is really great there to also hear how passionate Tim is himself about the charity and the important work that they do. And we want to continue the positivity with one last clip for this week. Let's go back to Mishti. She, Matt Cain and the front man of the feeling Dan Gillespie Sells chatted about the idea of chosen family. It's interesting what you say though because actually there was a point earlier on when it really struck me that we all kind of just take for granted that if we don't have relationships with family members for whatever reason it's we've somehow failed and actually I would argue that um, if your family members are taking a certain stance to who you are as a person then actually it's a sign of success to walk away and and cut the ties do you do you think Mishti are you proud of yourself for standing up and walking away I mean 100% there have been loads of times where I've been like oh no this this hasn't gone the way that I wanted it to or you know it's small things especially at uni like if I'm like oh that essay wasn't great and then I go hang on the fact that I'm here at all in a place where I'm happy surrounded yeah. by friends who I know love and care about me that is way more than I thought that I'd have and I mean for so many like queer youth out there that's not an option that they have so you know go, going through something like that and being able to keep yourself together and still you know hold your head high I think that anybody should be proud of that. 
I think there's also, there's a difference, isn't there, between hatred and lack of knowledge or experience. And maybe this was more um, appropriate when we were growing up, Dad. I know you were in a completely different situation to me, but um, there were people around in those days who would often say, I've never met a gay person, or they didn't think they had. Um, You know, and um, if so, I'm much more forgiving of somebody's, lack of knowledge or experience or i was i think that the issue is now these days um i'm not sure that argument washes anymore because even if you're You're a bit like what's your excuse i mean in this day and age you know in this culture that we live in you know what is your what is your excuse but but people do come from different cultures there are bubbles that people live in and there are different you know i think we need to kind of recognize that but I think yeah, we, 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 we have this amazing ability to create our own families. Obviously, I know it's a massive cliche in the queer community, but as queer people, we found our own family and we figure that out. And we've been forced into that. Yeah. And you know what? If, 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 if we're forced to carry on doing that, it's not a bad way to live. Shivani, you said exactly that. You said exactly that about being proud of cutting off those people who you need to cut off. What can I say? I know things sometimes. It's one of those things that I think it can be so powerful to walk away when you know enough is enough and you sort of say to yourself, I know who I am and I deserve more. And I think it's so important to also reframe things like that because things like chosen family is sometimes a phrase that people mock or are degrading about. But I would so much rather be surrounded by people who accept me for who I am. And I would so much rather cut off the people who are not supportive of me and don't sort of enjoy all of those different elements about me. And that is exactly when the big scissors come out. (laughs) Exactly. It's just absolutely no shame in being proud of your family, whether it's chosen or whether it's, you know, the family that are, we're going to use air quotes here, the traditional family. There is absolutely no shame in saying you want to choose the people who support you, nurture you, nourish you. You want to keep those people in your life. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you want to take that to its furthest extent, family's kind of a social construct. We kind of made up the idea of what a family is as, as like human society group. We were like, OK, this is what a family is. So why can't we reframe that? Why can't we queer families? I love that idea. No, don't tell that to Twitter. They'll get very upset about that. I'll just start going. <laughs> I'm going to tweet. You, I'm going to tweet. You're replacing families. Oh, God, Shivani. Well, I would highly suggest you uh, delete the Twitter app quite soon before, <laughs> you, but before you decide to tweet that. <laughs> the thing is, is whether or not we are going to reframe what it means to be family or chosen family or whatever it is, as Mishy and Dan both say, there are people out there who love and support you and want to be part of your life and embrace all of those aspects about you, regardless of whether or not they knew you from birth or spent your sort of teenage years worrying about what time you were going to come home. None of that really matters if they're not going to accept you now. And I mm-hmm. think in the day and age of everything being on the internet there are the resources to learn so i understand this need to try and educate people around you in family if they immediately reject your identity but i think it gets to a point where you're like google is free hun 
And you need yeah, to put yourself first. Exactly. In the age of Google and, you know, judgment-free opportunities to just ask questions. You know, we no longer shame people not knowing the answer to stuff. We shame people not wanting to know the answer to stuff. And intolerance is a bit of a poor excuse now. <laughs> On that note, that is just about all we've got time for today. But fear not, because next week we'll be back with another festive edition continuing Mishti's idea of chosen family and discussing the wide variety of wonderful families which can be found under the LGBTQ plus rainbow. Until then, we'd love to hear any comments you might have, or if you just want to have an at it, we are all ears. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter, where you will find me tweeting about how families are a social construct, (laughs) at Virgin Radio UK using hashtag Virgin Radio Pridecast. Or if you're feeling more traditional, uh, in the traditional sense of family, you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk. See you next week on Christmas Eve. Pass the sprouts, Alex. No, no, absolutely (laughs) no.